Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast with hosts Rev. Dr. Ben Haupt and Rev. Micah Glenn. In today's episode, Ben and Micah sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I am your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, the Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Always joined uh, by my highly esteemed, always highly esteemed, co-host, Ben Haupt. How are you, bro? Good, good. Yeah, I don't know if I'm always esteemed. Well, uh, ask my kids. <laughs> but, but the great thing is... At least for this discussion, I'm not one of your children, so yeah. you're always highly esteemed on this side well, of the table. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, how are things for you? Uh, you know, I, it, they're pretty good. We just came back from vacation, a week long vacation. And you know, it's when you do these things. Our youngest is about to be five. Johnny turns eight, as he reminded me, in seven days. And it's like, like literally, because we had kids when we were in seminary. Then you like recovery from like being poor when you're a student not totally poor guys uh it, so this is our first family vacation where like it was like an intentional vacation not like visiting other family but going somewhere uh we went to the dominican republic which was wonderful like the low on any given day was like 80 degrees maybe 85 wow. and we came back to like 40 degrees <laughs> rainy weather at midnight last friday but nonetheless still happy still tan uh so good yeah how about you yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah, the, the the beach sounds sounds nice. No, I just got back from Michigan, so this weekend I preached at a congregation in Michigan, and um, and uh, uh, also so I got to I got to talk to some prospective students in Michigan while I was preaching there, and then also uh, made a quick stop to uh, Concordia Ann Arbor, sure, and talked to uh, some pre-sem guys and some prospective students there. And uh, it's always fun. I met a, a prospective student last week who's been listening to the podcast. So um, it's fun to be out and about in the in the church, seeing what God is doing uh, by his by his word uh, out in the congregations and the uh, universities and such of our of our synod. And so it brings me. It feels like I'm. I feel closer to our listeners because uh, I'm starting to to meet people that say, hey, we're listening. And so all of a sudden it was just some numbers on our dashboard. And right. now it's like, oh, yeah, I know. I know who's listening now, which is really, really pretty cool. Well, so, then at some point we have to ask the dangerous question, what do you think? <laughs> you know, well, yeah, yeah. That's all. You never know how that'll go. We but, haven't asked for lots of feedback yet. But uh, listeners, you know, get get in touch with us. Uh, our emails are findable on the, the web, csl.edu slash admissions. I won't go down the rabbit hole of how findable we are, but we, it's very easy to find us and to contact us. And, I, and we do a pretty good job of responding. Uh, but nonetheless, enough about us, because we are indeed joined by a special guest today. We are joined by Dr. David Lewis. How are you today? Uh, very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great to have you. Second um, time. Second time. And uh, there's there's lots of reason for that. Um, so um, I'll, I'll introduce formally our guest. Uh, Dr. Lewis is Associate Professor of Exegetical Theology. That's uh, exegetical theology, for those that don't know, is the study of the Bible. Exegesis means uh, to, to ask, what does this mean to lead out of the, the text? Um, 
So, so uh, he's, he's associate professor of exegetical theology, specifically uh, kind of focusing on the New Testament, especially uh, the Gospel of Mark, upon which he wrote his uh, PhD dissertation under Dr. James Veltz. Uh, Dr. Lewis is also the director of the MDiv and resident alt-route programs. So he is uh, really, really uh, tied to our students in the, the MDiv and RAR programs, very involved with them. I, I see him all the time. He lives on campus, just catty corner from me. I see him all the time uh, on the street, just hanging out with a, a group of students, and they kind of gather around him because he they know that he uh, cares deeply about the students. Uh, he's also uh, the student association advisor, so he's helping student government. And, uh, well, there's lots of other things that he does around here as well. He was also my uh, John and the Catholic <clears throat> Epistles professor, and uh, I... I, I love that class. That was one of that probably was one of my favorite uh, exegetical classes, maybe even favorite seminary classes. Um, that was his first year Look at that. teaching, and um, yeah, now we're colleagues. Yeah, we so. were meeting down at the old uh, CBC building right. uh, back when the seminary still owned it before they sold it to Wash U. Sure, seventeen uh, years ago. And we, that, boy, <laughs> seems like yesterday. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember we were talking about canon, and you're the one who pointed out. Uh, that uh, Eusebius actually identified Revelation as homo legumina, oh, yeah. and 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 Natha spurious, and and I remember rereading Eusebius and says, oh man, Haupt is right. Hmm. Uh, we Lutherans always stick Revelation in the antilegomena category, but uh, it's never called antilegomena by Eusebius. And, oh, that's uh, right. And we had a, we had we had some intense debates in that class down yeah. there. I recall we had to cover the Gospel of John and then all of the Catholic epistles and. The canon in ten weeks. Ten weeks. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and you had you had I think one of the best exegetical papers from that class. So. Well, it was fun. Yeah. I I uh, got to dig into. Uh, we talked uh, in a previous episode with Dr. Olowski uh, that'll be airing here soon, and um, we talked about history of exegesis, and that class was kind of where I said, oh, maybe it's maybe it's important for us to. Not just read the the modern commentaries, though they're great. Yeah. But but to also read, uh, what did Luther say about this? What did Eusebius say about this? What did Irenaeus say about this verse? Yeah. Um, and that exegetical tradition has kind of built. So listening to the church and what the church says about the Bible. Every once in a while, one of those Roman Catholics in the medieval ages, but you know, not too much, just a little bit. <laughs> Well, it's, it's great to have you on. Well, thank uh, you. It's great to be here. You're, I was, you know, I was, I almost said you are our first repeater guest, but we had Leo on in both seasons, so okay. you're, you're not. All right, but still special nonetheless. Oh. Uh, but something we've uh, been trying to do, uh, because the the whole sake of this podcast is trying to inspire, encourage, and, and make the opportunity of becoming a church worker possible to those who are listening, uh, and th- these stories are all in one way similar and yet all so drastically different. So the big question of the day is, how did you become a pastor? And so far as like, what did, what led to you wanting to become and then pursuing becoming a pastor? Okay. Um, my parents were actually, uh, you might say nuns before there were nuns. You know, they both had been raised in the church and basically had left the church early. Their parents had stopped going to church. And they actually converted to uh, Missouri Synod Lutheranism, uh, because a pastor was going door to door, canvassing the neighborhood for a new church, and this was at that point where they had four kids and were it, suddenly interested in Christianity. Okay, they were at that point where they were ready, and uh, he had a lot of enthusiasm. This was Pastor Martin Lundy, my first pastor, 
and uh, he created Christ the King Lutheran Church out of basically a bunch of families that he he going door to door canvassing the neighborhood. And I remember in the early days we worshipped in the auditorium of a local community college, then in the auditorium of a junior high before building our church facility, and so. My whole conscious life, I've been a Missouri Synod Lutheran, but uh, there was a time when I was in a family of agnostics and atheists as a little kid. I, I'd been baptized. My grandparents made sure that happened, but uh, my parents were not interested in Christianity until, bang, they were. And sure. they, they converted, and, they, and they've both passed away since, but they were pretty gung-ho uh, Christians from that point on. And uh, so I, I was sent to Lutheran school, day school, and every pastor I had... Uh, had encouraged me to become a pastor. So Londy had mentioned it to me when he took a call. Next, Pastor Heidecker mentioned it to me, Pastor Bauer. Uh, when we lived on the East Coast, we worshiped for a year in a Wisconsin Synod Church, and Pastor Beckman encouraged me to become a pastor. Then we lived in Rhode Island, and we attended an LCA church for a year, and Pastor Copenin encouraged me to become a pastor. And then we returned to California, went to our home church where Jonathan Grothy, who taught here for a while back in the 80s, uh, he he also encouraged me to become a pastor. So, and then my parents encouraged me. So I always had this admonition that this was something I ought to do, and I put it off until my senior year of uh, at the university, when I had to make that decision about grad school. It was either law school or Concordia Seminary, and then I decided to throw my hat towards Concordia Seminary. I said I got to at least find out if this is for me. Came here for a year and was still not certain. You know, I loved everything, but I'm still not certain. Then stayed for a second year, still not certain. Uh, went on vicarage, and that's where it was really confirmed for me that this is what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Part of it for me was you know, the, that idea, am I really good enough to be a Word of God guy, to be preaching and teaching God's people? Um, there was a sense in which I knew I was a Christian saved by grace through faith, but am I really the guy who should be doing this? It's an area of strong responsibility and Really, it was on Vicarage where that was confirmed that, you know, it's not really you, Dave, it's the Lord Jesus working through you, the Holy Spirit he's given you working through you, and uh, that was, uh, it was confirmed. I met my wife on Vicarage, too, and I remember I once asked her, do you think I'm a good preacher, you think I'll be a good pastor? And she said, I wouldn't marry you if I, I know know what you're doing, (laughs) and so I wouldn't have married you if I didn't think you were going to be good at this, right? She said, it's like, if I'm dating a doctor and I don't think he's going to be a good doctor, I'm not going to marry the guy, you know? And that was kind of a, that was kind of confirming as well. And then when I came back for fourth year, I think the fourth year here just really confirmed this is what I ought to be doing. And so it's been sort of a lifelong, for me, a lifelong thing that this was likely the career, you know, the vocation that I would be entering. And there was a part of me that was always would have been happy if God had said no, do something else, you know. But uh, that's not what happened. So, well, and you you haven't always just been a, a seminary professor. You didn't go right from uh, MDiv to uh, graduate school and then and then uh, straight to teaching. So you you were a, a parish pastor. Yeah, I was a uh, pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Crescent City, California, uh, which is where the redwoods and the Pacific Ocean meet. 300 miles north of San Francisco, 25 miles south of the Oregon border. Uh, I don't know if you know the state of California well. You know, they tend to say San Francisco is northern California. It isn't. It's central California. Uh, (laughs) Del Norte County uh, was really in the wild. So we had uh, 16,000 people in the county, 8,000 in the town. And yet we were, I think, the the third largest church in the county. 
Grace Lutheran, after the Roman Catholic Church and the Foursquare Church. And uh, it was a great place to be because we had that uh, dynamic of, I would say, sort of hippie, ex-hippies, and rednecks worshiping together in the same congregation. That's awesome. Yeah. I think Del Norte County at the time had more members of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, than registered Democrats in the county. I, I checked those statistics back in 2000, and uh, and but the people who were you know Democrat tended to be pretty much on the left, and I always thought it was a good sign of Christian unity in the United States when you can have somebody who's got a bumper sticker that says "Love your mother," and another guy has a bumper sticker that says "Earth first, we'll log the other planets later," you know <laughs> that they're together at the communion rail receiving yeah. their Lord's body and blood, yeah. together in worship, together in Bible study, together in ministry. And yeah. That was That's a awesome. great place to be. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm taking a, a class for graduate school, Sin and Evil, with Dr. Cole, and you, you asked that question, am I good enough? Well, according to our doctrine of sin, the yeah. answer is, it will, right. none of us are. And yet, uh, yeah, the, the Lord of the Church still calls wretched men like us uh, to be pastors for his church, to be professors at the seminary, yeah. uh, and to be podcast hosts. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm not the latter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's him. We put on Christ Jesus when we were baptized into Christ. Indeed, and that's that's what the Father sees. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. And and there's there's grace beyond our sin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which we all rely on on a regular basis. Well, again, that's yeah, incredible story. Uh, like like always, you know. Well, well, Dr. Lewis was also my Greek professor, so I, I knew some of that before. Yeah, yeah, and he was in the military. You'd never mentioned that. Yeah, I, after high school, I joined the military. I was sick of school and didn't have money to go to college. And joining the army was one way to get that college. Yeah. Uh, it was the VEA, the Veterans Educational Assistance, at that mm-hmm. time. There was no. Uh, what do they have now? There was no GI, GI Bill, GI Bill uh, at yeah. that point yeah. in his in our history. But uh, and I had a great time. I served three years active duty and then four years active reserve while I was in college. And well, I and I have to say uh, of about uh, the Reverend Micah Glenn. He scored a ninety eight <laughs> on the Greek ELCE, which is not easy, right? I, that's I appreciate a, that. That's a test designed for people usually to get not even to get a ninety. And he scored a ninety-eight. So ah, just that's awesome. I always have to point that out. I know? like the language. I, so I just took a, a so I just took a German midterm. I wasn't going to bring this up, but because <laughs> okay, you right. brought that up, I got a ninety-eight on my midterm. Oh, awesome. Whoa, it, yeah, it, yeah. The thing is, we're gonna we're gonna do the rest of this podcast off Deutsch. I I, I texted Dorothy. I was like, "Is it lame that I'm a little disappointed that I didn't get a hundred? The answer <laughs> is absolutely. It's, abso- it's absolutely yeah, lame, everybody. By so, the listeners, way. there are those that are like <laughs> yeah. Mike Glenn, and then there are those that are have some doubts um, and, and that are have normal some questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I actually love this about um, hearing about your your doubts and your uncertainties, right? Uh, because I we meet people all the time that are like. Oh, I'm kind of on the fence and I don't I don't really think that I don't think that this is what I'm supposed to do but I can't kind of get this this nagging away from me and um, I've talked to a couple people that have had some advice uh, given to them that said if you can think of anything else besides ministry to do that you should do that instead because ministry is that hard I I personally think that's terrible advice um, I think I, I think Jesus uh, intentionally picked, uh, some people who probably didn't think that they were the most logical choices 
they they were constant beset with doubts of an uncertainty even after the resurrection. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, so so I, I think it's actually uh, a good idea that if you can't shake this uh, idea that you're supposed to be a pastor, you should go and check it out, and um, you you should you should stay with it as long as uh, somebody doesn't say you need to leave the seminary. Yeah. Um, this isn't for you. And, and, you know, sometimes we do have to direct somebody to a, di- a different calling. Um, and there are lots of ways to serve the church, but, but uncertainty shouldn't be a reason to not come to the seminary. And one reason I love the gospel of Mark is this may sound surprising, but Mark has the harshest portrayal of the disciples of all four gospels. In Mark, the disciples, they start strong and then they quickly decline and they just don't get it. They don't understand Jesus. Bartimaeus, you know, the pericope a couple Sundays ago, he gets it. He he has faith in Jesus. Even when he's blind, he sees. And it's striking in that pericope that when Bartimaeus, when Jesus calls him, he walks to Jesus unassisted, mm. although he's blind, right? There's, nobody needs to help him to Jesus. And when Jesus says, uh, your faith has saved you, go, go in peace, go your way, Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way to Jerusalem without being told. Uh, but Peter, Andrew, James, John don't come off as well. And the the point, one of the points of Mark is it's Jesus sticks with them, not they stick with Jesus. You know, rather than fire them for their blunderheaded, you know, idiocy and lack of understanding, Jesus sticks with them till the end. And the promise is is that they're going to see Jesus and be reconciled with Him after the resurrection. And so, really, that's why in the end. When it comes to ministry, don't look to yourself because you'll see all the reasons why you shouldn't be a pastor. Yeah. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ who calls you. Well, speaking of not always understanding exactly what Jesus is saying, <laughs> we're continuing our, our study of parables. And so the last couple of weeks, we, we started with some more well-known ones that are longer in nature. Uh, and in Mark's gospel, there's, there's this, I like to, well, at least for the sake of the podcast, call it this rapid fire series of short parables uh, in Mark chapter four. And there are three. We're not starting with the first one. Uh, we're going to start with the middle one. And then in the unlikely possibility that we have time for the third, we might circle back, but but we're, there's three pastors sitting here, so we might get through one of these. Uh, <laughs> starting at verse 26 in Mark chapter four. So, uh, Mark four twenty six it says, and he, and he said, and Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, and with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
So, Dr. Lewis, uh, who you listeners, you can't see this. Uh, you're like like Bartimaeus in in some respects. You can't see what we're what we're doing. You only hear our voices. Um, but maybe that's a not a bad metaphor. Um, but but what you should see is that Dr. Lewis is holding in front of him just the Greek New Testament. So um, so this is our our Greek professor. Most most uh, students that come here to study Greek at uh, the seminary are probably going to have Dr. Lewis for Greek if they've not had Greek before. Uh, so Dr. Lewis, take it away. Okay. Um, well, this uh, you know, chapter four of Mark, uh, four verse one, going until um, uh, where, where uh, Dr. Hauk, where you closed off with verse 34, is the uh, is usually known as the parabolic discourse. This is the where G, this is this matches uh, that section in Matthew chapter eight and Luke. I mean, Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8, where you have a series of parables. It always begins with the parable of the sower with the four kinds of soil. And, and uh, I like to say that's the paradigmatic parable uh, about that really is about Jesus' ministry. Jesus is explaining to his disciples, uh, teaching the crowds, but then explaining to his disciples, this, this is what is happening. The seed is the word of God, and that's a good metaphor for the word of God because seed has the power in and of itself uh, to bring about faith and new life in in the gospel of the kingdom, the the message that the reign of God is here in Jesus Christ. God is acting now to redeem Israel and His fallen creation in Jesus. Uh, so the the word has the power to create faith and new life. However, in the parable of the sower, the word could also be resisted. So for whatever the reason, God has decided to bring about His kingdom not in a way that is irresistible. Right, uh, he he brings about his reign in a way that people can say no for now, and they can resist it. When Jesus comes again, it'll come with irresistible power, but right now it comes with in a way that can be resisted. And so you have the the seed sown on the rock and in the on the road and among the thorns that resists re- resists it. Nevertheless, in spite of that, it, it's still sown upon the good soil where it the word of God has its way and brings about. I would say repentance, faith, and new life in Jesus. Uh, and that's the paradigmatic parable that really describes what's happening in Jesus' ministry, and I would say as it continues in the ministry of the church. You know, that enlightens us as we proclaim the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised when people don't believe uh, the message that we proclaim. They didn't. Not everybody believed Jesus either. But nevertheless, we can have confidence that God's word will not return to him empty, you know, mm-hmm. Isaiah 55. It will yeah. bring about the purpose for which... It, it's been sent forth, and in a sense, we have no control. And uh, so, there's a sense in which you may want a certain group of people to repent, and you preach, and the other people you weren't expecting to repent. You know, in other words, uh, we want the white collar people to come to church, and God calls all the blue collar people. You know, <laughs> that's actually what happened in my ministry. They're, they people wanted me to target the white collar folks, and in fact, uh, it was the the retirees and the 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 carpenters and the working class people who were joining our church. Mm. And I just said, well, that's these are obviously the people God is calling uh, to join our church. And uh, and the idea was if we get the white-collar people in, we'll get money. And the people who started coming began to give sacrificially because they were so, I don't know, grateful to God for new life and salvation. So you just, that's that's a part of the problem for us pastors is it, it is the Word of God, which we you know should faithfully sow, but we have no control over how God is going to use that Word. And who the good soil is, we don't know. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. You might have an image of your mind what yeah. good soil looks like, but 
story after when I was a minister, uh, missionary in Ferguson, uh, more times than not, the people who came to my office regularly for pastoral counseling were the people that we would consider down and out in life. Yeah. And yet, uh, the gospel really resonated in the soil of their life. Uh, it, it, it is like I tell people all the time, if, if, I, if we were to plant a church there, these aren't people who could sustain uh, the economics of what we would consider a regular church. We would have had to figure out a different way to have church together. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in a field for free, yeah. that type of deal. But yeah. but yeah, exactly. You just you sow it liberally yep. and generously, and the seed does what it does without our knowing. And Jeff Gibbs and his commentary on Matthew makes a point that uh, most parables of Jesus have a certain uh, ridiculous nature to them. You know, where the original audience would like almost laugh. You know, so like the parable of the uh, unforgiving servant, he owes his king 10,000 talents. Jeff Gibbs says it's likely more money than existed in Galilee at that time. Mm. It's like the national debt, and yet he says, be patient and I'll pay you back every penny. (laughs) You know, that people would likely, the disciples would likely be laughing at that point. And the parable of the sower, the fact that the seed gets sown on all all this place, I mean, generally, a good wheat farmer is going to sow it on the tilled ground. He's not going to throw it on the street or among the rocks or thorns. <laughs> right, right. But the idea here is, you know, this see, Jesus is sowing the word liberally. He's throwing it everywhere, and there's a sense in which, in this perspective, we actually don't know where the good tilled soil is. Yeah. It's going to be wherever it is, and that's God's business, not ours. As as men of the word, we just sow the seed, and He's going to call to faith whom He calls to faith, and. Other people are going to say no, and that's not out of our that's that's out not in our control. We can only trust that the word will do what God sent it out to do, and so this first parable, I think, sort of follows the parable of the sower because we have the imagery again of a seed, uh, and I I think that the seed in Jesus' parables does uh, it it is the word, it is the word of God, which has the power in and of itself to bring about faith and new life. And notice how the man in this parable doesn't even understand how this happens. He just sows the seed, and then it happens. Uh, you know, and yeah. Before we connect the dots yeah. deeper between the parable of the sword that opens up this chapter in this parable and the, the overlap, what you said, just in even reading the parable over and over again, because I, I studied science in college, yeah. uh, and it's one of those things where like, the time in which Jesus came into the world was clearly the perfect time because it's it's when he came but imagine that jesus pops up today and he says this parable everyone's gonna be like uh nah man like water gets on it it gets some nutrients it begins to germinate and then begins to sprout and then it pops up and now photosynthesis is happening it's just like and yet even with all that science like and beyond the the fact that we think we can control everything we, we still whether we understand how seeds grow plants we, we have relatively little control over what takes place in the world right even though, so that's interesting even though we can understand and explain the stages more and and we know you know water nutrients um, and we try to control yet there's still droughts there's still famines and, and in the end the seed does what it does outside of our control we sow it and right maybe water it you know um this makes me think of my uncle Sam, who used to be a dry wheat farmer. Dry wheat, you plant the seed, and basically it just grows. You don't irrigate it; it just grows. And he he always resonated to this parable. I recall because this is sort of like, yeah, it's true. I sow the seed, and then 
Uh, step back, don't irrigate, don't put any fertilizer on it, maybe weed it when the weeds come up, and uh, and it just grows. Mm. You know, There's yeah. a parable that says he shouldn't have weeded it, but anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's in Matthew. So, you know, so th- this, is, this is sort of that bridge parable that follows, you know, that first parable that sort of takes us, I, I believe, sort of takes us into the, from Jesus' time into the ministry, into the era of the ministry of the church. I think both of these parables do that. Uh, there's some question about who this man is. Uh, Dr. James Velt says the man is always Jesus. But the one thing about this parable, and this could just be the ridiculous nature, is I assume that Jesus understands what's happening, but in this parable, the man doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, one other explanation is, is the sower in the parable of the sower is Jesus. This could now just be anybody, Jesus mm-hmm. and anybody following him, sowing this seed. Uh, it could be Jesus, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about how maybe it's, it should be Jesus, but I got a feeling that this man could be any sower, including the disciples, and I would put myself, I, I think Jesus understood what was happening a lot more than I did. I, I put myself more in the situation, I sow the seed, and how that word affects people, really, I don't fully understand. I just know that it's going to happen. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of interesting and it's helpful because I as I was looking at verses twenty six through thirty or twenty six through twenty nine I'm thinking so okay Jesus has just told the parable of the sower of the seed and now and now we get to twenty six and it's kind of like the same thing yeah. yeah and so I'm I'm I was reading through it again and again asking so what what's new here what's developing and the only thing that I can come up with is. Uh, the entrance of the harvest. Yep, right. Um, which, which is a, a new thing that he doesn't talk about, right? In yeah. the uh, in the original parable of the sower with the four types of soil. Yeah. Well, there's mentioning of a harvesting of the good seed, okay. sort of at the end, but it doesn't use the word harvest. Hmm. The harvest the and harvest in the parables tends to be a metaphor for the final day, the last judgment. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I would say this parable seems to bridge the gap from Jesus' ministry, the parable of the sower, to the hmm. harvest, to the last day. And, the, and one thing Dr. Velt says about this parable that I think is insightful is this parable tends to focus on what happens with the good soil, right? This, no longer are we worried about the three that resist. This oh, is, right. the, and, and he said, and Dr. Velt says the purpose of this parable is actually to encourage the disciples. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, I kind of disagree with him that I don't think the man is just Jesus. I think the man could represent any sower. And so we have this picture of the word continues to be sown from the time of Jesus until Jesus returns. And so the pastor who preaches the gospel could be the man as well. Um, but on the one hand, to, to the church and its ministry of sowing, uh, we know that the word is going to, in spite of persecution, in spite of uh, you know people falling away from the faith, the word is going to continue to to do what the word does. It's going to in the good soil. It's going to bring about growth and new life that'll come to fruit finally at the harvest on the last day. Mm-hmm. And then for those of us who are good soil, uh, the word is going to be effective in us. This, this kind of speaks to you know, my uncertainty about being a pastor is yeah. uh, we don't rely upon our own power and strength. We rely upon God and his word. And when you rely upon God and his word, you could say, you know, actually he can do great things with me. He's going to give me saving faith, but also give me that new life. And I'm going to bear fruit. Uh, that's going to be good for 
my neighbor and for the, the work of the kingdom. And this is really God's doing. I have no clue how this happens, but uh, he's going to use me effectively. And it's not because I'm an awesome person. It's because he's an awesome God. Mm. And his word accomplishes good things. And so we can take comfort as we consider, you know, church history and times of persecution and times of, uh, you know, you know, schism and division and fighting. Uh, in the end, God's word is going to have its way with us. And I think both as pastors who sow the word and as Christians who are have the word sown in us, there's something comforting about this parable. Hmm. And what's kind of key is the word, I didn't mention this, but automate in verse 28, automatic. And this is sometimes called the parable, the automatic seed. But really, automate is with gay earth. It's the automatic earth. And so here, Mike, it kind of brings in that science stuff. It's not just the seed, but it's a seed sown in the soil. And the seed and the soil together just do this automatically. Uh, and all we do is sow. And this is what the ESV translates as uh, the earth produces by itself. By itself, right? yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned the, the Greek word gay is, yeah, the, is the word earth. The word yeah. earth, yeah. 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 So automate, hey, gay. And uh, Veltz takes that automate, the adjective, it, he says it's usually used as an adverb. So automatically, mm. on its own, the earth does this. Yeah. Uh, and th so the imagery here, if we say the earth is the the good soil, the it's the person who receives the word in faith, it's sort of the word is sown in you, and then just it just happens. And uh, so you pastors, you know, you have to have some humility. It's not you. You know, yeah. you're you're sowing the word, which right. is your job. But uh, uh, when the, when your people change and repent, and you see sanctification and fruit, that's that's God working His new creation in His people. Yeah. Whenever, and it's not to bring guys down. It's just no, no. to to help them learn what we actually do as a pastor. When when sometimes we're in these conversations, I'm like, well, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody, and you know, I converted them. I'm like, oh, well. They were converted probably in spite of you, yeah. uh, largely in spite of you. Um, if they were converted, it was because somewhere in your bumbling, you talked about the gospel. Right. Uh, and that's the only way that they were converted, not because you were clever, not because you're very smart or insightful or, or even a, a good speaker. And it's like, it's one of those things, constant reminder, like you said, it's, it, I get up and I preach, but if, if I'm not preaching God's word... A, it's apparent, but B, nothing good will happen. Yeah. It's only because of preaching God's word that, that anything happens in the church. I've, I've been, um, so I've just been thinking about what you're saying about maybe, maybe the, the, the sower in 26 through 29 is not necessarily just Jesus, but the, the disciple who is then passing the seed on uh, to others. And I think it, I think that actually that explanation makes a lot of sense of the two verses previous. So let me just yeah. read these two. And here Jesus is not talking parabolically. So he kind of uses the next two parables to kind of explain his point. Um, but in verse 24, it says, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear, the, the seed that you're getting, right? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So here, the person who's had the word sown in them is now getting more seed. There, they, um, the there's there's a, a even larger harvest, um, and then Jesus says, "For the one, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has 
will be taken away. So Jesus is putting an emphasis on, I've given you my word and I'm going to give you more. Mm -hmm. And the idea would be then now the, it's kind of a flipping of the parable instead of the person who is like dirt receiving the parable. Now the person who has received the, the, the seed becomes the sower and is out there sowing the, this extra seed that, that the sower has been given. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and, of and, what's going on. And notice uh, how verses 34 and 25 are, in a way, a response to the parable of the sower. In other words, there is judgment upon those who re- refuse God's word. Yeah. Uh, those who do not have, it'll be taken away even what they have. Yeah. And uh, and then f- to the good soil, uh, more is going to be given. Um, and this may sound harsh, but uh, if God is bringing about his reign and rule of grace through his word... There's implications how you hear, which is you know kind of what Jesus says. You know, it's a blepe ti akuita. Watch how you hear. Wow. Right. This is a warning to the hearers to pay attention. Um, and interesting, I didn't mention this, but if you look at the Greek, you notice like in 21, you have kai elegan. It's the imperfect, and not he he said, but he was saying. Or Velt says he continued mm-hmm. to say, verse 34, kai elegan, uh, which means 20. I mean, verse 24. So you have that again which means 21 through 23 is a unit, 24, 25, and then 26, Kyelegan, again, 25 mm-hmm. through 29, and then 30, Kyelegan, the parable of the mustard seed, that Jesus has a series of parables, the way, Micah, you were saying that, you know, rapid-fire parables, really, you know, they are pretty one, two, three, four, bang, bang, and how 24 through 25, he's not really even speaking parabolically, he's clearly explaining in the midst of this what's happening. And and I, and I think that transition, I would say that transition makes sense. That now the man, it's Jesus, but then the apostles and his ecclesia, his church, the pastors, those who are sent to sow, and the fact that it goes to the harvest, seems to me this is bridging from the time of Jesus until the last day. Yeah. yeah this is a kind of a comforting parable that you might say there's not, you know, Jesus is going to the cross. There may not seem to be a lot of success in Mark. Right, you know, and the parable of the sower, it's like 75% of the word is rejected, you know. But uh, here, it's this is a nice, successful, comforting parable. Is and the, the next one is the same, where actually, no, the word is going to be effective. It may seem small and insignificant, but in the good soil, it's going to bring about the faith and the new life and even fruit, good works. Yeah. That is going to be evident at the harvest. On the last day, it's going to be evident, you know, that's where the sons of light are going to be revealed. And uh, suddenly we're going to realize, oh, wow, you know, God actually was effective through his people because his word is effective. Just because I'm new, yeah. uh, relatively new to theology and being a pastor, uh, and just for the sake of our hearers, so, because this, this is a, a theological challenge, to put Jesus in this parable would be to say that he doesn't understand fully how his word yeah, works, right. which, how? Because for all of our lives, we've been taught that Jesus is omniscient because he's God. And so, for our hearers, this is because Jesus is both God and man uh, simultaneously. And yet, there are moments in his ministry where he denies his divine nature for the sake of his ministry. Like knowing when he would come back again while he was here. He denied himself that knowledge all the time. So is that... What Veltz would say in this parable? Well, he doesn't. Veltz doesn't get into that. Okay. Per se, he puts Jesus in the parable, and I got to speak about that, but in a different way. 
Uh, it could just be that the man not knowing that that's part of the ridiculous nature of this parable. Oh, right. Like even a lot of farmers then probably had a better understanding. But but I'd say the the reason, but the point of that in the parable is that may not be true necessarily for wheat, but it's definitely true for the word of God that those mm-hmm. who sow don't exactly know. And it, it could be a, a part of you know Jesus' state of humiliation is that in the same way he didn't know when the last day would be. While he was a man on earth, he maybe didn't fully, he, even he didn't fully understand what, what God was doing mm-hmm. through the word. Sure. Could could be, uh, yeah. And I I would say that would be one one way you could say the man is Jesus, and so. The man doesn't know what's happening either. That's like a ridiculous part of the parable, or that's actually maybe historically Jesus didn't always know. Yeah. You know, listeners, if you're interested on an episode of the Two Natures in Christ, email Ben and uh, request it in maybe season three. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Well, yeah. yeah. No, no, could I talk about Veltz's oh, other other please. thing? Yeah. Veltz. Uh, Dr. Veltz believes that this parable reflects Isaiah 55, as I've mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the word not returning empty, but also Joel chapter 3, because there are certain words in this parable that you see in Joel uh, 3 verse, uh, I think I should have brought it with me, but Joel chapter 3, and that would include words like the harvest, uh, mm-hmm. the harvest being at hand, uh, the word being sent, or the, the sickle being sent out. Mm. You get this imagery in Joel, and in Joel... The imagery is of the day of the Lord when the sun is blackened and judgment is coming. Hmm. And so Dr. Veltz suggests that Jesus could be the seed as well, which would make sense. Jesus is the word of God. And and uh, and that day that day comes that day of the Lord comes proleptically, that it is ahead of time at Good Friday. The cross is the climax of Mark's gospel, yeah. not the resurrection, but the cross. And and there the sun is darkened. Uh, and this is the day of judgment where Jesus now becomes the seed that dies is sown into the ground mm-hmm. and then raised in the resurrection. Sure. And uh, so Velt suggests, so you might say uh, sort of a double meaning here, where this is about the the word, hmm. but then also the word of mm. God, Jesus, yeah. death and resurrection, which is, uh, now what do you think about that as a way of putting Jesus into the parable? <laughs> he's not the man now, he's actually the seed. Well, one thing that we have to say, <laughs> one thing we have to say is that... Um, you know, unlike some parables where Jesus does give an explanation and he yeah. says, so this means this, yeah. he doesn't do that no. for this parable. So I think um, I think the best that we can do is to be astute listeners, to pay attention to what we hear. And, um, you know, I my reading, because uh, the, the church fathers do this all the time, they'll have like multiple readings. And my, my take on it is, well, if, you know, Luther's, uh, Luther's principle was... Um, in, in German, uh, for for our German student over here, <laughs> Dr. Glenn. Someday, Dr. Glenn. Someday. Um, I just gave you a doctorate. <laughs> I, um, people were calling me Dr. Lewis before I had my doctorate, oh, and yeah. I just got tired of correcting them after a while. So The other day, somebody called me Professor Glenn. I was like, I'm just going to let it ride for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. I'll take that. It's not a, it's not you, a slam. You work, you work at the means. seminary. It's yeah. probably because yeah. the house I live in, yeah. but, but no, I'll take it. Yeah. You work at the seminary. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Luther said, Vas Christum tribet, uh, whatever uh, drives toward Christ or whatever... Um, yeah whatever gets at Christ. So, so if, if that's an interpretation, that's, a, that's to uh, boil all of hermeneutics, a whole class here at the seminary, and how do, what does the Bible mean? Um, here's the really simple, the simple answer. Uh, whatever preaches Christ, um, it, it's, it's, we, can, we can certainly live with it. There's maybe better or worse 
uh, interpretations, but uh, right. I think both of those preach Christ yeah. and point us to Jesus, and that is uh, that's good by me. I, th- I think seeing the word, seeing the seed as the word, I think is the primary way I would understand this parable. Yeah, and you know, going from the time of Jesus to the harvest at the end. But um, Jesus likens himself to a seed in, what is it, John chapter 12. Right. <clears throat> and that dies and is buried. And, yeah, that's right. And Jesus is the Word of God. And so it's not, a, it's not that bad of a move, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And I've heard plenty of sermons where I've said, you know, this isn't what the text is saying, but at least he preached Jesus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah. Sometimes, some, listen, guys, sometimes you have to make up Jesus for the sake of a sermon. Right. Drag him into, <laughs> you got to drag him into that sermon, <laughs> kicking and screaming. <clears throat> There's no gospel there. Well, I'm going to bring it in anyway. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so let's, um, we, sh- we should get to the parable of the mustard seed. Yep. Um, so, so, uh, what do you what do you make of, of all this? Uh, the only thing that's coming to my mind is that, you know, as Jesus is preaching and and having his ministry, th- this is early even in the Gospel of Mark, right? So, I mean, it's it like uh, Dr. Robbie used to talk about Israel reduced to one. Yes, um, there's a whole new movement starting, and it starts with Jesus. And uh, you know, today we can look and say, okay, there's two billion Christians in the world. <laughs> Uh, but but in Jesus' day, nobody believed in Jesus, um, and and it started with Jesus. So, um, what what do you make of the parable of the mustard seed? Especially, I, I see it having a similar purpose as the previous parable. That this parable is meant to comfort us and to give us assurance that God is going to be faithful and accomplish what He wants. And so again, the seed I think represents the word, and it could very well represent Jesus too. Uh, simultaneously, now that we've established Jesus is the Word, uh, the mustard seed is you know it, you know what does uh, he call it the microteron, the smallest seed, and then you know scientists could come and say no, there are seeds smaller than the mustard seed. But in that culture, when Jesus was speaking, mustard seed was considered the smallest seed, and uh, and so it seems insignificant when it's sown, but what it produces is something pretty grand. You know the largest vegetable plant or tree in the garden, the birds of the heaven, which, uh, and that was often a metaphor for Gentiles. And so everybody under the heavens are going to find rest and shade in this, in this plant. Uh, this is, so this, this is a promise that, you know, to the disciples, although this seems small and insignificant right now, what's going to happen is going to be wonder, wondrous, and it's going to be a blessing to the entire earth. And, uh, and I, I could say, you look ahead, where you see how Christianity spread and how many all all the nations now are finding rest in its shade, you know, and you know comfort in the gospel and uh, and you know the church, you know, it flourishes in certain areas and then seems to die off, but it continues to flourish and grow, um, and 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 it's been a and it's becoming it has been and is becoming a blessing to all nations, but it started insignificant. And now it's become this big thing, uh, and and I could say almost you can look at this parable and say, boy, that's pretty historically accurate, Jesus. That's already in the Acts of the Apostles we see this happening, as uh, the gospel goes to Asia Minor, Greece, eventually Italy, uh, and then now we've seen it, you know, you know North Africa. Uh, uh, it gets as far as India. It's been to China several times and is there again, uh, Japan. Uh, just you know, eventually Northern Europe, 
uh, the church has grown and brought the comfort of the gospel with it. And this is the way it's going to be until the harvest, until the end. There's no mention of harvest here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and you might I always wonder if, uh, unless you want to take the, uh, uh, you know, becoming this branch that all the birds rest in as a metaphor for new creation at the end. Mm. But uh, this seems to be a promise that, you know, Jesus' word and his church is going to be successful. Uh, mm-hmm. And this would be a comfort to the disciples, especially in light of Jesus' death and, you know, well, his resurrection with the ministry they're called to do is you guys are going to succeed in this, you know, or maybe you, not you guys, but God, his word is going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. I was able to do, I was able to use this as a metaphor in Crescent City where I was a pastor because they had blackberries all over the place. Yeah. They right. wild. And the blackberry seeds are really small. And so I'd say, I when I, I said it's like a blackberry seed, and uh, and black and this is odd. There are some interpretations that the mustard plant was actually more of a a, a pest, not something you want. It's that pest that just takes over all the time. But it does produce mustard, which you can use. And the blackberries were considered a pest, but the blackberries. I mean, everybody loved the blackberries, and uh, and so it's a blessing, even if you don't want it, you know. And uh, so I told them, you know, the blackberry seed is the smallest of all seeds, but you plant it, and it grows. Every, it, go, it takes over and goes everywhere, you know. And again, it goes everywhere it wants to go, not necessarily where you want it to go, which again shows that lack of control that we have over God's word. Yeah, we sow it, but what it does, it does. And yeah, I was I, I was telling that to the people when some of the white collar folks in my congregation were like, you know, the wrong sort of people are joining our church. And I said, No, God's sort of people. It's the guys it's the people he's dragging in. They're the ones joining our church. You know, this is God at work, not us, and you got to take what God gives you. You know, it, the birds of the heaven are, likely aren't what a lot of the Jews would have wanted in the people of God. You know, but they're the ones God's going to pull in. You know, yeah. Well, well, so following the seedly metaphor that that's the gospel. Is there a way? I'm just curious, especially if this is a the mustard seed isn't like a desirable tree, but a pest of a tree that the tree is. People, that, I think, I that think the, the gospel has taken root in. Uh, here, I think the tree is almost like. Well, you could say I think it's the church, yeah. which would include the people of God, of course. And and uh, but the birds would be the people. So it's like the church exists always for proclaiming the gospel to the outsiders, and the birds then are the the outsiders they who come, come and and uh, and find rest in its shade. And so the church is here not for the insiders. Primarily, the Great Commission is for the outsiders. It was, it always should be looking out to those who don't know. Well, and, and in that way, because it's not, I don't know, in this way, the, the mustard tree is fulfilling its purpose. It is. To be a refuge. Yeah, that's right. For the wanderer of the world, as opposed to like when Jesus goes to the fig tree that isn't producing figs. That's right. It's cursed. Yep. And yeah, that later it's in not Mark chapter 11. Doing what it's supposed to do, but yeah. here the mustard tree is. Exactly. You see, Jesus brings us into the church through his word and gives us life. Yep. Uh, whether yeah. we know how it happens or not, uh, and a life, a fulfilling life, just yeah. just by nature of being a part of the body of Christ. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and the world may not like, I mean, this is, some, some interpreters argue that the people didn't really want the mustard plant taken over the garden like this. And it uh, could be the world doesn't like this either, but, you know, tough. Right. You know? God's going to have his people where he has his people, yeah. 
they're going to be calling the world to repentance. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of speaking of pests, I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about the birds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is is the the word in the Greek for birds? Is it just the 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 common word, or is there um, is this a specific kind of bird? Do we know anything this about is, these? This is just the common word for bird. This yeah. is the same word used earlier in the parable of the sower for those that gobble up the the seed that's sown on the on the road. So and, birds uh, are kind of seen as pests, right? Yeah, They're kind not, of. These aren't yeah. like. Um, we're not supposed to think of these like the 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 dove, which is this kind of tranquil like symbol of the Holy Spirit, yeah. like coming down, and like oh how beautiful, like there's a pair of pigeon doves out there, and you know let's feed them. Uh, these are kind of like Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, yeah, yeah, right? Kind of, yeah, this is these would be like unclean yeah. animals, yeah, ravens uh, and yeah. stuff like that. And in in bird was used as a uh, metaphor for Gentiles in Jewish literature, yeah. dog dogs and birds, mm, unclean yeah. animals outsiders and this seems to indicate here a great commission you know that this this is going to benefit all the nations of the of the earth and uh, and so in a sense you might say these are not you know if we want to think of this as church this would be you know when we get uh, a little self-righteous and full of ourselves these are not the people we want coming to our congregation right well no you know they're exactly the people god wants coming to his well, ecclesia to his church yeah, came to call Sinners, not yeah, the righteous. Right. Amen. Yeah. The the um the idea that um they find nest in its shade is kind of an interesting idea. Uh, if you're thinking about uh, judgment, is there? I I'm not necessarily. I can't necessarily think of anything that comes directly to mind. But I mean, the idea here is that the sun is beating down so hot that it's it's a sort of judgment. And the birds are finding, sort of finding uh, a respite or relief from the the the, the uh, piercing sun. Um, is are there are there passages in the scriptures that talk about the judgment as as um, kind of the sun beating down hmm. or scorching Jonah? people? Yeah, well, Jonah, the Jonah, the, maybe the, the sun scorches Jonah. Oh yeah, there's the sun in Revelation. The sun in Revelation eight nine, and then in the seven when the seven vials are poured out was at chapter sixteen, there uh, the sun is is made to burn extra hot upon the people. Uh, yet sun represents uh, persecution in the parable of the sower, and uh, so it's kind of interesting. The, right. the birds are the agents of Satan who gobble up the uh, the seed sown oh, yeah. on the road, yeah. and now the birds are being blessed by the uh, the mustard seed by God's mm-hmm. word sown that produces you know this the church that now provide shade for these unclean animals that probably good Jewish people wouldn't want coming to the synagogue, you know, at that, in those days. Oh, so maybe they're cheering at when he <laughs> preaches the parable of the sower and they're like, yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. Those dirty birds come and yeah, eat up yeah. all of our seed. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and, now, and now they're saying, oh, wait a minute, what? I, that was really <laughs> funny, Jesus. We were tracking and all of a sudden you're saying like the birds are going to come and they're going to they're gonna find shade. Yeah, uh, I don't nest. like this they're parable. Gonna dwell, they're going to nest in the shade of this great mustard tree that comes from your word, you know. Mm-hmm. That, th- that this is the thing. It starts small, and then it becomes big, and when it becomes big, it's going to be a blessing to everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. Yeah, not just, not just the disciples, you know. And, and notice there's hope there because keep in mind the parables are preached as judgment uh, upon the people who haven't, who've heard Jesus clearly say, the time is fulfilled. The reign of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. He's spoken clearly, 
and they haven't repented. And so now he speaks in parables about the kingdom to conceal it from the outsiders and reveal it to the insiders. Mm. And this is always the big, so there's a big switcheroo, as you mentioned before, Ben, that, you know, now he used to speak plainly, now he speaks in code. Uh, and then with this, you get the judgment upon those who ha aren't hearing, but blessings to those who do hear. And yet the whole purpose of the disciples getting the mysteries is so they can ironically proclaim it to the very people who aren't listening to Jesus, wow. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and this is, uh, Dr. Veltz mentions, you know, that how this all closes with kind of a harsh, he's not speaking anything to them except in parables, except, you know, you, you see this in Isaiah, you know, you're going to go preach in Isaiah 6 to harden the hearts of these people, but that's not the last word in the book of Isaiah. Uh, when we get to the middle of Isaiah, it's comfort, comfort my people, says your Lord. In other words, always lurking behind God's judgment is God's desire to save sinners. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so if we, as his disciples, are blessed that we are insiders and we get to understand the mysteries of the reign, it's not so we can sit on it, but so that we can sow that seed. Wow. You know, uh, so what G Jesus had the, you might say he's the Lord, he, he has the right to conceal these mysteries from outsiders. And reveal them to us, but we don't. We're not. That's not our calling. Our calling is simply to reveal this to outsiders, which would have lent its way for us to wrap around to the parable of the lamp uh, yeah, under yeah. a basket. But <laughs> we're getting close to time in a different um, in a different day and age where people are willing to listen to us for a little bit longer. We would have wrapped around, but today's not that day. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. It's yeah. perfectly fine. But before we go. Uh, I, I feel like everything you've said up to this point is great advice for anybody who's considering uh, any type of church work, and in particular pastoral church work. But if we could, just another an, another little mustard seed of, of advice for anybody from, from Dr. Lewis to our listeners. If, if they're considering pastoral ministry, what would that advice be? I would say uh, talk to your parents if they're a Christian. I've known some people who've come here who, you know, parents were not believers. Uh, talk to your pastor and ask them for their advice. Mm. Um, one of the reasons I came to the seminary was because my parents and most of the pastors I had sincerely told me this is what I had to do. Mm. And if they hadn't have told me that, I likely would not have come. But uh, listen to them. And a second piece of advice is uh, look to your Lord Jesus Christ, not to yourself, because, I, again, like for me and I think for many others who've come here, it's always, am I worthy of doing this? And yeah. Uh, Mike, as you said before, no. Yeah, none of us are. None of us deserve to actually be in God's grace, but it comes to us by grace. And the calling to serve as a pastor or as a church worker—it's God who calls. It's His call, and if He calls you, He calls you. And you, the only choice you have in the end is to say, "Yes, Lord, here I am. Send me." Yep. So, so don't look to yourself. Look to the Lord Jesus, and talk to those people in the church whom you trust and heed their advice. If they say go. They, they probably see things in you that you aren't aware of. Uh, wonderful advice that given the opportunity, I would have, I'd follow again. Cause that's basically in the long story short, what happened? People in my congregation were like, we think you should be a pastor. And I yeah. said, no. And eventually I came here and I became a pastor. Right. <laughs> well, uh, this has been another incredible episode of under the fig tree. I, I think we could probably go on for, days talking about these parables but and yet we have to come to a end uh we appreciate you joining us for another episode uh thank you for listening to under the fig tree make sure to share it eventually we'll ask you to like it when we you know get a little bigger in our growth of a podcast but nonetheless uh have a blessed day and have a blessed 
rest of your week.